0: The voice of reason, the voice of alarm, the voice of stats, the voice of scouts, the voice of Kool-Aid, the voice of dismay, the voice of Dave O. All right, there you go, Royals. That's more like it. A nice victory in game one of three against the Rangers as KC now moves to 4-0 on the season against Texas. And we welcome you to another edition of Clubhouse Conversation, Dave O., On your dish, and yeah, 4-3, to a nice victory in front of 21,536 at Kauffman Stadium. A nice Monday night crowd, and from sitting there a few rows back in Section 130, I saw quite a bit tonight. There's about really six guys in particular I want to discuss with the Royals, but also how about Mother Nature holding off literally until the last second so the Royals could complete this game without any weather issues. So, I mean, yeah, we had light rain starting in the bottom of the eighth, very light Then there got to be two outs in the ninth, and it got a little bit harder. No joke, on the last pitch of the game, right when the ball was hit, it was moving towards Escobar. Right when it was hit, it began to, not quite pour, but it began to come down very steady. So Escobar, you know, (laughs) the ball was dry when it was hit, basically. By the time it got to him, it was raining pretty hard. And within two minutes of the Royals getting that final out, it was pouring. It would have been a delay for sure at the end of that half inning possibly during that half inning had it gone on a while longer. So the Royals got that one done just in the nick of time, which is nice. I guess the, the rain's been kind of good to the Royals. I mean, I people keep saying it was great to the Royals last night. Not really. Couldn't it have just come 10 minutes earlier? So we'd be starting that game in the top of the 10th in Cleveland, tied? No dish last night, by the way, for two reasons. Number one, the game is not technically over with, so I don't really know. It was a little bit tougher to break that game down last night without the full thing played. Number two, During that rain delay, I hustled home and had a very, very amazing two-hour interview with Ray Palacios. He was a catcher for the Royals in 1988, 89, and 90. A true hero after his career, like literally a hero in in the game of life. We'll talk and post that here in the next day or two with Ray Palacios. I know it's two hours, so download it and listen to it as you can. There are just some amazing stories he tells. So those are the reasons for there wasn't being a dish last night. But here we are, and, and it was a nice win. I mean, I'm pleased with the 4-3 to victory over Texas. I mean, it wasn't a game where you cruise to a victory. You really didn't want to have to use Davis, Holland, and Herrera because essentially they're all not available tomorrow now, which kind of poses a problem. In a perfect world, you would have won tonight in blowout fashion. That way you would have had them for both of the last two games of the series with an off day coming up on Thursday. But now you can essentially only use them on Wednesday. So tomorrow night the Royals are going to need seven innings out of Jeremy Guthrie, a nice offensive performance. They're going to have to score probably four, five, six runs to get that win tomorrow. Seven innings, three-run ball out of Guthrie is obviously the goal, and hopefully the Royals can get that. We'll preview tomorrow's game and tell you more about Derek Holland. Interesting story, making his first start of the year. We'll discuss that a bit later. But tonight you might say, you know, big deal, Dave-O. They beat the Rangers. They're supposed to win this game. There's no pressure, and uh, baloney, come on. I mean, yes, the Rangers aren't Detroit. They aren't Cleveland. They aren't the Yankees. They aren't even the White Sox. They aren't even the Twins. But it's still a major league ball club, and if the Royals split the next two, they go 5-1 and one against Texas. You're supposed to go 5-1 and one against Texas if you're in first place. If you're going to win the division, teams that win the division win 5 out of 6 from 100-plus loss teams. With that said, the Royals almost need to sweep this series. I mean, I almost think, splitting the next two would be a disappointment because that i mean just splitting the next two gives you a 500 home stand essentially if we pretty much count last night's game a loss because it pretty much is chances are you're not going to go into Cleveland and score two or three and with you know having three outs to work with so in my book we'll just look at you know i look at it realistically and then if we you know if we somehow come back and win that game well then god that's a full game swing but essentially we're tied let's just think we're tied from here on out that way we know more of what we have to do, and we're not relying on that game to get us anywhere, so we're just going to assume we're tied right now with that said, you know, Detroit blows out Cleveland today. Cleveland gets in about four thirty in the morning, has to beat the park by what eleven o'clock or yeah, probably about eleven thirty or noon today, so that was a short short night for them. They come out, and Kluber gets rocked, although Kluber was there yesterday, so he wasn't part of the traveling party, so no excuses for him, but it wasn't Cleveland's day. we got to hope I think in that series that the team split Detroit and Cleveland. you want. Detroit I mean if, if you sweep Texas you should leave Kansas City with a two-game lead essentially or at least a game I mean there's a fourth game as the Royals are off that that day so yeah I mean let's just say that let's say the Royals win the next two and let's say Detroit loses two games you'll leave town with a two-game lead minimum and that would be nice going into New York and Detroit, which will be a tough, a tough series. And you also want Cleveland to maybe lose one of the next three. They could win the next three and it'd be fine because if the Royals are winning, Cleveland's still three and a half behind them. And I still am not quite sold on Cleveland being able to overcome the odds at this point, especially because they still play the Royals and Detroit head-to-head again. The pitching outside of Kluber, Carrasco's been a nice story, but it's kind of iffy. I mean, the Royals made them look like world beaters, but we both know a lot more of that was the Royals in this particular series than it was Cleveland. So, I think you want Detroit to lose at least two of the next three games. But either way, the Royals are helped a little bit. Seattle lost again. I mean, I, again, I'm not thinking about the second wild card. At this point, that would be a fail for this season to play in a one game playoff. I, I don't like that at all. I, I want to win the division, legitimately make the playoffs, and, and it becomes all worth it then. And, you know, we've been in first place for what? About three weeks now? At least a share of first place. What was the exact date? Has it been three weeks now? It's right about three weeks. So you want to stay there, and you've got, you got to take care of Texas to do that. So the Royals did that tonight. So I don't want to hear anybody saying, oh, they have to. It doesn't matter. It's a huge game. These games are just as important. I, okay, I shouldn't say just as important. They're not just as important as Detroit head-to-head. Let's be real here. They're not just as important as Cleveland. But these games are just as important as playing the Yankees. These games are just as important as the Red Sox. The White Sox. Any of those teams left on the schedule, they're all important because you've got to either match Detroit or get ahead. From here on out, you need to match or excel over Detroit pretty much every day of the rest of the season. That's the goal every single day. Because you're down to your last, what, 25, 26 games now. So six names tonight that I want to get to. Number one, Donald Ventura. Nearly unhittable through five innings. It was fun to watch him tonight, wasn't it? I mean, he began to tire. Either the tiring or possibly the back was tightening up. I noticed that he was not able to complete that delivery in the 6th and 7th. I don't know that I would have gone back out with him in the 7th. I was fine that he did. I thought Ned handled it fine. Ned got him out at the right time with Herrera, so give Ned credit for that. Did a nice job managing the pitching staff tonight. But Ventura, those first five innings, I mean, there was only two balls squared up the entire first five innings and only one hit. I mean, he was he was dealing. Six and a third, two earned runs for Ventura on five hits. There were too many walks. There were four walks, but 7Ks so over a strikeout per inning, which is nice to see fastball was just free and easy. That's, that's what I noticed most the first five innings, that and the breaking ball. We've been talking about his breaking pitch and how a lot of times in recent days when he's struggled, teams are just completely eliminating everything with the fastball, and they're just sitting on the fastball. And, yes, he'll still be able to get you know, probably 60% of hitters out just with his fastball. If that's all they're looking for, he can still get over half the guys out. That's how damn good his fastball is. But they can hit him at a decent rate when they're just eliminating the other pitches. So I thought his breaking pitch was a lot better tonight. That enabled him to be more successful. The changeup looked good. I mean, he just looked really good those first five innings. The best he's looked, in my opinion, in quite some time in the first five. And again, I think that he either tired once he hit about that 80-pitch plateau in the sixth inning. Maybe his back got a little stiff on him. Who knows exactly? But <clears throat> I thought he was great. I really did. I mean, before Martin's line-out to Infante starting the sixth, and before Andrus's double off the right field wall, he was he was just unhittable to that point, basically. So nice to see from Yodano Ventura. i mean some people have been nervous and rightfully so that you know is is he running out of innings is he you know he's been he's been struggling a little bit with walks and a little bit with his secondary pitches for a while is, is he going to have to be relegated to the bullpen and be shut down well i think tonight went a long way in saying no especially as we head into september and he's down to his last four or five starts and perhaps maybe you go to him as your long guy your fireman he'd be a great fireman in in the playoffs in the bullpen wouldn't he Fifth, sixth, seventh inning as a fireman. They go from him to Herrera, Davis, and Holland. How unfair would that be? Have a guy like Finnegan. Maybe they can get Finnegan in some games before them with electric stuff. Maybe get a guy like Aaron Crow back on track. We'll see but the royals looking good with Ventura looking good so that's good to see. Number 2 tonight Alex Gordon surely the royals MVP of the year one of the top 5 MVP candidates. And tonight it wasn't like he had a you know super fantastic night but just how steady he is. I mean there's so many things to love. We talk about his defense nearly every day. So I mean but even look at his approaches at the plate Alex understands the game and gives you better at-bats than anybody on this team. And I've always thought Omar Infante gives you really good at-bats, too. Now, the last couple of days, he's had some brutal at-bats, including the one last night in the eighth inning after uh, he couldn't get the run in from third and one out, and he was hacking at two sliders. This, the third strike was like a foot outside. So outside of the random things like that, I mean, Omar gives you good at-bats. He knows when to take pitches, when to take it to right, give himself up. He understands RBI situation, so I've been impressed. But Alex is the best on the team with approach-wise. Look look at last night, for example. First inning, a couple guys in scoring position, running at third base. Royals have been struggling. Alex is up there hacking away. When he sees a pitch somewhat up, he knows he may not... It may not be the pitch that he can do a lot of damage with, but he knows he can hit the hit a fly ball to the outfield. Drives in a run last night. Tonight, works the count, draws a key walk. I mean, it's just like he he understands the situation. Look at last night. He gets ahead in the count 2-0 and oh in that ninth inning waits for his pitch, crushes it. Home run. I mean, it's like Alex, he knows when it's time, when you're down by two or three or four, he'll give you a good at-bat. He'll take a couple strikes. He's not afraid to do that. He knows when it's time to drive in a run, he'll simplify his approach and, and swing a little earlier. I just love the at-bat you get from Alex Gordon, and, and he strikes out some people don't don't like. I mean, some people think he strikes out more than he should, but to me, Alex Gordon gives you the best at-bat on this Royals team, and I don't know, maybe top ten or fifteen at bats in the American League. I've never thought about that before, but if you just look at purely at bats and approach, I love what he's doing. So just the fact that he was able to get a key walk tonight, a hit, scored two runs, allowed Salvi to do some damage behind him, and yeah, Salvi. The third thing, three hits, including a double and a huge, no doubt, home run to the back of the Royals bullpen in left field. Three RBIs for Salvi. And how nice is it going to be next year when the Royals are able to DH him twenty-five times? I mean, Salvi's bat should probably be probably in the lineup one hundred and fifty to one hundred fifty-five times a year. He plays probably average as an American League DH, way above average, the best probably in the league offensively at catcher, obviously. So the best at catcher, so you, but you want to keep him fresh so he's able to catch for another six, eight, nine years. You want him still at the top of his game when he's 31 and 32 because that's where his main, his main value is. So you want to reduce him next year to 125 to 130 starts, DH him about 20 to 25 other games. It'll be nice next year. I think with the Royals, they, they found a formidable backup in Eric Kratz for a year or two. I've been very impressed with Eric Kratz going back to last night, and I'm giving you a little bit more tonight than I normally would because I didn't really talk about last night much, obviously, because of the suspended game and all that. So uh, Kratz, just more good at bats last night. The night before, drew a key walk, had a nice double, you know, nearly went yard a couple of times the last couple of games. Late in the game, he just gives you good at bats. Good, good approach up there from Kratz, too. I really like Eric Kratz. I don't know why it took the Royals so long to find somebody like him over Brett Hayes. I keep saying that. And just a, a feather in the cap to, to Brett, or to, not to Brett, not to Brett Kratz, to Eric Kratz. There we go. Now, number four tonight, Mike Moustakas. is first of all, tremendous play in the field, robbing goal glover Adrian Beltray, diving to his left, getting up throwing him out by a full step and a half at first base. Mike Moustakis, you are the man. What a, That was one of the best plays he's made all year at third base. And and that wasn't a, you know all. He drove him what would be the winning run. You didn't know that at the time. But that fourth run, he had two hits in the base knocked the other way against the shift, and that fourth run would be the winner. Mike Moustakis, nice freaking game, dude. Good to see his average... Getting steadily over 200. It'd be nice to see him hit 220 by the end of the season. That means he finishes strong from here on out. Maybe hit another three or four bombs in September. Eric Hosmer, God, great to have him back in the lineup, isn't it, for a number, a number of reasons. Now, he did have that immediate error, and if you follow the Royals closely, you know that Billy Butler is not happy at all that Eric Hosmer's back. I don't think it's probably too big of a secret that those two aren't the best of friends, and that Butler sees and thinks of himself more highly defensively than just about anybody else. Now, there are some people who look at the zone ratings and only look at numbers and will tell you that Butler is fine adequately defensively, and that's ridiculous. He was the first couple of weeks. I'll give him that. He was better than I thought defensively, and I'll give him big credit. For the first couple of weeks, Eric was out. Butler did a hell of a job. Give him credit. Because when Eric Hosmer went down and the Royals were struggling... And it was the day the trade deadline, they didn't make any moves. I mean, that was a depressing night. Remember that? And it did not look good. That's before the big streak happened. Billy got hot right after that, and Billy, for about two to three weeks, was very good defensively outside of the one in Oakland that he missed. That was actually a base hit. That wasn't an error. But in the last couple of weeks, we've seen him drop the routine pop-up that was god-awful. We've seen him have a routine ground ball hit to first, do nothing, then decide to look at second for a throw where well, it wasn't there, and then the runner makes it to first, where he just has complete brain fart in the middle of the play. That cost him. We saw last night where he essentially blew the game for Greg Holland with the error. It would have been a 1-2-3 inning in the 10th, and that's why the Royals are down two right now. Why maybe they weren't hitting in the bottom of the 10th with a walk-off or a chance to get a walk-off when that rain came. So there was last night that was completely awful. There was a play that Christian Colon, when he bounced the ball over there, it was an easy long hop for Butler to dig. Cologne took the error. There was a Vargas play a couple of nights ago and. The ball missed Butler's glove by all of six inches, and he hardly moved it. There was a play last night where the runner went to third when Butler – I mean, you just go on and on. It's, it, if you watch the games, there's no comparison. So I, I'm, I'm sick of – I want to give Billy big credit for what he did, but I'm also sick of some of the people who seem to knock Hosmer and seem to overvalue Billy defensively because he's just not – he's not. I mean, he is not good defensively. Billy Butler is a below-average Major League first baseman. Now, he's not, like, god-god-awful. But he's not good defensively. So, anyway, that's that's kind of my take on that. I didn't talk to the media. I guess I understand it. But you kind of wish he'd be a little bit more of a team guy and just kind of say that's what Skip, Skip wants. I'm not in the lineup. And I'm sure he's pissed not only about not being at first base but not being in the lineup. But I can understand that because we'll talk in a minute how Raul Obanias has no reason to get really any more bats this year. We'll talk about that here in a second. But Eric Hosmer, good to see him back even though he had that little error right off the bat where – you know, I'm sure Butler wants the team to win. He's not going against Hosmer, but I'm sure he had to get at least a little ironic chuckle under his breath, right away. But Eric, a nice knock tonight, nearly a two-run bomb to straightaway center. God, that sounded good off the bat. Must it was 410 out there? Must have been hit about 405 feet. Just didn't quite get it all. But having Hosmer back, I mean, he it just seems like a guy that further legitimizes the lineup big time, because now you've got a multitude of options at DH between the DH and the outfield. I mean, think about it. You can play Kane or Dyson every day, or both. You've got a Oki out there. You could slip Willingham in out there. You could split Pugero in and out there. But look at DH now. You have no excuse to give Raul Abanez any more bats. Look at all the guys you have now at DH that should always be in their head of Abanez. Butler, number one. Willingham, number two. Kratz and Peguero kind of tied for three, depending on who's on the mound, and even Aoki slash Dyson or slash Kane should DH over Abanez. Abanya should not be seeing a bats, and I love you, Raul. I love having him around, but it's just not working. You cannot continue running Raul Abanez out there at DH, especially with the September lineup. And the last guy we want to talk about is Peguero, who smoked two balls tonight, one for an oppo double, one down the right field line that was robbed by first baseman Adam Rosales. Got a nice arm from right field that we saw him hold Beltray to a single, he played a ball perfectly off the right field wall. Looked awesome out there. Big guy who's just been on fire. What Double-figure home runs in the month of August. Him and Gordon are kind of the same thing, I guess. Both just got hot as hell in August. Of course, Pegueroz was down in Omaha. But my point being, there's no reason for Abanias to play. Let's just say you go Dyson and Kane on the outfield most days, because I think most would agree that gives the Royals the best chance to win. That's your best defensive lineup. Aoki's not near as good as Dyson and Kane out there, although Dyson had a horrible error tonight. He'll do that from time to time. It's amazing how great he can look some nights and how elementary he looks some days. But for the most part, Dyson's been great this year, not complaining about him. He's been fantastic in that three-and-a-half role where he's kind of not quite a fourth outfielder, not quite a third outfielder. And Aoki's kind of the same. They're both kind of the same in that. But give me Dyson every day of the week against right-handers. To me, Aoki should only be playing from here on out Maybe against lefties, but you could almost even slip Willingham in there and right field against the lefties and go with Dyson and Kane against the righties. Just my opinion. But either way, like I said, now that Hosmer's back, why would Abanias ever play? Butler's your DH, three out of four nights at least. Willingham is in there. Paguero, if he's not playing in the outfield. Aoki or Dyson, if they're not playing in the outfield. Kratz, now that you have three catchers, you've got Pena. No reason for Ibanez to ever see the field, and I'll continue to get on Ned Yost about that if that happens because he's playing way too much and not producing. Love the guy. Keep him around. Shouldn't be on the playoff roster either. He will be, though. Now tomorrow, the Royals really need to sweep this series. We talked about that earlier. You really need a sweep here. Tomorrow, it's Derek Holland against Jeremy Guthrie. Derek Holland making his 2014 MLB debut. Seems kind of interesting to bring him back in a lost season at this point, but he wants to prove to Texas going into next year that he's healthy. Coming off of left knee surgery is Holland has not been real great in the minor leagues. His six rehab starts he had in AAA at Round Rock, so they brought him back slowly. Did throw 98 pitches his last outing, so he'll be probably at a 100 to 105 pitch count limit, probably 105 tops. About he won't start an inning past 95 pitches. So the Royals should be able to get him out hopefully after six innings tomorrow. You'd love to see them get three to four runs in six innings off of Holland, who's who's got a, uh, still got a, a pretty decent ceiling in my opinion. A guy I'm intrigued about. I have been for a while. Hasn't been, you know, has an injury issues lately, so you haven't been able to see it too much. But a guy that's got a lot of potential. His last outing in AAA was against the Nashville Sounds, five and two-thirds, allowed three earned runs. So, been kind of shaky in the minor leagues. The Royals should be able to hopefully get three or four off of him. I'm trying to think what the lineup will be tomorrow. Willingham, I would hope would be better by tomorrow. I'm assuming you'll see Aoki back in the leadoff spot. Infante in the two, Gordon in the three. Mm, Willingham? Butler, I guess Butler, four, Perez, five, Willingham, six, some sort of combination there. Moose back in there, obviously. Escobar back in there. So it'll it'll be interesting to see. uh, I I guess the guy, I don't see Piguero in the lineup tomorrow or Dyson. I think Aoki obviously hits lefties better. So we'll see what they do tomorrow. But the bottom line is, should be an interesting game. Tomorrow night, Derek Holland against Jeremy Guthrie. The Royals need seven innings out of Guthrie because their bullpen is not in good shape right now as far as their key guys, and at this point, I don't know how many other guys we can trust out there. I don't know that you want to throw Brandon Finnegan out there for his first outing in a a tight game. So in a perfect world, you'd light up Holland tomorrow, get a nice five, run lead. Guthrie would cruise and give you seven innings, and you could kind of break in some guys like maybe a Finnegan tomorrow. The sooner you get Finnegan, the better. You definitely want to get him into this homestand. Because you don't want him debuting at Yankee Stadium. So Finnegan needs to pitch one of the next two nights. Needs to happen. Be nice if it could be tomorrow, the night where you don't have Davis, Herrera, and Holland. Because you want to save those guys to win the game. No matter what on Wednesday, if you have a lead, all three of those guys are pitching. Because you have an off day Thursday. So no matter what, Davis, Holland, and Herrera should be closing out. You can't mess around. So tomorrow night's probably the best chance to get Finnegan in the game. If, if Guthrie can go seven innings, I don't know. Depends how big of the lead. If it leads four runs or more, I would imagine Finnegan comes in maybe to pitch the eighth. You got guys like Frazier and Crow to close it out, possibly Bueno. You know, they brought up a lot of guys today from Casey Coleman and you're getting Crow and Cologne back and Gia Vitello was a kind of a surprise call up, oh, but good to see Johnny back up here and Lane Adams made his major league debut. I love that. Biggero, as we've talked about. Uh, Francisco Pena. So, a lot of guys have come out. The Royals have no limit of arms out there, a ton of arms. But in, in, in games like this, where you're, unless you have a gigantic leader, a gigantic deficit, you don't want to be seeing any Casey Coleman, no Lewis Coleman. You want to, I would say Crow would be a guy you'd want to put in there tomorrow night, maybe in the seven, eight, ninth inning, maybe rotating with Finnegan and Frazier and possibly a Bueno siding tomorrow night. Now, the last game in the series is Nick Tepish, the local kid against Vargas. We'll talk more about that tomorrow because I've been on for 21 minutes. Good grief. I'm talking a lot tonight. So anyway, thanks for hanging with us on tonight's Dish. Make sure you check out the Ray Palacios interview and we'll be back tomorrow night right here on Clubhouse Conversation. Let's keep it going. Get, the, get all three of these games and we're back in decent shape again. We're already decent shape. We're back in good shape because we'll leave Kansas City, I would think, with a lead over Detroit if we can win. And uh, you know, Again, we have a half game lead now, but I'm considering it a tie. You win the next two, you should have at least a one or two game lead as you head in on Friday to New York, especially with an off day while those two teams are still playing on Thursday. We'll see what happens tomorrow. Hopefully another Royals win. Thanks for listening, and go KC!